When I was younger, I would love to argue with just about any member of my family. It was a game for me. In fact, I would say the opposite of whatever my, of whatever my mom or brother said, just to be a butt. <laughs> now, my teenage kids do that to each other and to me. Oh, I mean, I have to say, I must have been really annoying growing up because it's irritating. So just out of curiosity, does anyone enjoy arguments? I know some people actually do. Everybody argues with somebody. You all get into arguments, but, but I'm curious if you know what your style is. How do you do it? Think about the last real argument you had with your significant other, your mom, your dad, your family member, friend, or the person who works in your office. I mean, what did that look like? Even if you are a person who tries to avoid arguments, there are times when it's going to happen. Everyone has beliefs and convictions and you will run into people who don't share those values, who are not like you, who think the opposite of what you think and you are going to argue. <laughs> so what do you do? What's your style? Are you the emotional arguer? Does your voice elevate? Does your body tense up? Does your mouth just start to speak words without your brain weighing in on what you're saying? Do you cry? Do you throw things? Do you shout to make your point as if being louder will be more convincing? Or maybe you're the logical arguer. Are you one of those people who are calm and collected and then throw around data to make your point? Are you quick to cite a source or a study from memory that supports your position, even if it's not quite right? Or just bring in your own experience? And then, and then when the other person does not agree with you, do you write them or the conversation off as stupid? Or, Maybe you're this. Maybe you take the shutdown approach during an argument. So do you typically during an argument get really quiet? Do you stop engaging, but then maybe fixate for days or weeks or months on how things went down, rehashing what someone said about you and it just weighs on your shoulders and you end up really resenting that person? Do you know your style? How do you argue? Here's the thing, regardless of argument style, this is what I have noticed. Never, ever, not once, at no time in my life, in nothing that I've ever read or experienced, has someone at the end of an argument said, you know what, now that you mention it, I realize that my deeply held belief and conviction in life is, well, wrong. And you're absolutely right. Your argument has convinced me to change my mind. Uh, that doesn't happen. No one gives up on their ideas easily. No one. In fact, the opposite often happens. After an argument, people believe what they originally thought even more strongly. So much so that they search out, interpret, and recall information that only supports their beliefs or values so that they can justify what they think. Social media has made this a thousand times worse. It is an echo chamber in which the algorithm does a fantastic job giving us content that is in line with what we already think, that confirms what we know to be true. And what happens as a result of this 
is that people become absolutely certain that they are right, which makes all of our arguments worse. It makes it impossible to connect to anyone who is different, and so our relationships suffer, and our institutions stop working because, well, nobody trusts anyone who's different from them. We can't just live together anymore unless we all think the same and have the same values and dreams for the future. At least that is how it seems. That's how it feels sometimes. So does this have anything to do with our faith? Or is this just Chad ranting to you today? So when I was young, I went to worship services with my parents because it was what our family did. And it was fine, but for me, what we were doing never really mattered that much for the life I was living at the moment. Church was there, the church was there to, to give you hope and to make you feel better about the future. No one ever talked about how the story of faith could actually have an impact on your day-to-day -day existence or, or even help create a future that was genuinely good for humanity as a whole. But that is exactly what the biblical story does. And the reason I don't think I heard much of that when I was growing up was because it is actually hard to hear. So at this point, I, I feel obligated to give you a warning because we have to warn people when something is dangerous, right? When it can hurt you or alter your state of being. So here we go, here it goes, fair warning. If you value your current set of beliefs, and if you are highly motivated to keep your practices and routines the same, then the story you heard today is incredibly dangerous. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him saying, why did, you go to un Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered them from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. 
and they praise God saying, then God is given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The reading from Acts is a post-Easter story. Jesus is gone, but his mission of proclaiming and enacting the kingdom of God is not. Jesus' disciples are entrusted to keep things going, saying what Jesus said and doing what Jesus did, having learned from their teacher and empowered by the Spirit of God. But in this process, something happens that no one expected. A giant problem emerges. Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, are moved by Jesus' ministry and vision. And they receive the Spirit of God. And they want to be a part of the community. I know, right? A huge, massive problem. <laughs> so I'm assuming, by your lack of reaction to what I just said, that you are not as concerned about this as you should be. So let me uh, frame this for you. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi who taught in synagogues, had Jewish disciples, and observed Jewish customs. This did not change after Jesus' resurrection. As good Jews, his disciples know that God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham, their ancestor, their patriarch. God has favored them, blessed them, and chosen their nation. Uh, God is on their side, and they, are, and they are to honor this covenant and be loyal to and true to God by separating themselves from others, by abstaining from certain foods, by following purity customs, by physically marking themselves through circumcision. The, the worst thing that you could do in this culture is contaminate yourself and your community by in pure influences and people, namely Gentiles. I mean, does that resonate? So let me see if I can draw maybe a, a, a parallel to something more familiar. It really is so much like identity politics. Doesn't matter which one, both say, this is who we are. This is how we vote, this is how we think, and this is what we value. And people know with absolute certainty that they are right, and if you want to be part of the group, then you have to say and believe certain things. Also, some forms of Christianity do the same. They teach that you need to send your kids to a good Christian school that only uses Christian books so that, and to only listen to Christian music in the car because you know with certainty that you are right and if you want to be a part of this group, then you have to say and believe certain things. In both of these examples, the worst thing that you can do is contaminate yourself and your community by welcoming in and listening to people who are on the outside. Now, now, these are the people who you're to argue with, the people who you have learned to really despise and even hate. So going back to the, the biblical story, when Peter is praying and, and has a vision of unclean animals or Gentile food and is told to eat up, he says, absolutely not. No way, Lord. The law of our tradition that keeps me connected to God and my community by isolating me from others absolutely forbids it. <laughs> but then the voice continues. But Peter, it says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. <sighs> I mean, the result of this is that Peter actually changes his mind. And he comes away with something that he did not have before. And in the end, he confesses, if then, if then God gave them the same gift that God gave us 
When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? I really do have to warn you, the stories and the traditions that we immerse ourselves in when we worship, I mean, this is dangerous stuff. Love will be the standard by which the kingdom of God will be known and experienced, and any who follow in the way of the risen Christ will have to come to terms with this. Love for the first century Jew means do not call profane what God has called clean, and it leads one to embrace the Gentile. Love for the 21st century Christian means do not call profane what God has called clean, and it leads to embracing all those who find themselves not just inside, but outside the Christian faith. And, and you can keep expanding this phrase, do not call profane what God has called clean. To love means to listen to your neighbor who is not like you. To love means to embrace those who, do, who you don't like or even respect. To love means not just to welcome the Ukrainian refugee fleeing war, but also the Latin American mother fleeing cartel violence. It means opening yourself up to new people and in the process, new ideas and new ways of seeing the world and yourself and your role in the world. But if you do this, if you do this, you can't be, stay the same. You can't expect others to stay the same. You can't expect the world to stay the same. And for human beings who really enjoy living in their echo chambers, searching out confirmation bias and surviving by isolating themselves into closed communities, the story that moves Jesus' followers out from themselves to see the people of the world as those God has called clean, that God loves, this is a dangerous story but it's so good and it's so needed. What if you actually were moved to listen and respect and love the person, the people, the group that you argue with the most? How would your life change? How would the world change? Thanks be to God for this good news for us today. Amen. As a way of taking this message and reflection just a little bit deeper into your personal life, here are a few reflection questions that you can think about, journal about, talk to a neighbor about. Question number one, what are you arguing about these days? And what is your style, your style of argument? Think about that. And question number two, are you willing to listen to and engage with someone who does not think like you? Seriously, are you? Are you open to new ways of thinking and new possibilities that come from God? Thank you before you answer that.